Welcome back everybody to the Uncensored CMO. Now, a topic in this episode very close to my heart. Why are car ads all so bad? I even wrote an article about it last year because uh, having the benefit of the System 1 database, I can see just how similar all car ads seem to be. So it's rather privilege to get someone who knows a lot more about car ads than I do actually, Kirsten Stagg from Skoda, uh, who's the UK marketing director and has made some pretty good ads herself. In fact, Skoda, as you pronounce it, are responsible for the best ad on the System 1 database. So there's no one better for me to ask to represent the industry and answer why all car ads seem to be the same than Kirsten herself. We cover that and we also talk a lot about the move to electric vehicles. The biggest revolution, I think, since the combustion engine how do we get more people into electric vehicles over from petrol and what are the car industry doing to save the planet so no shortage of big questions in this episode so without further ado let's introduce Kirsten and find out why are car ads so bad so Kirsten Stagg welcome to the Uncensored CMO Thank you. Great to be here. Uh, I'm very excited about this because when I was at university, I actually studied economics and finance, so I was a very good student. But during my degree, I suddenly had this sort of awakening, realizing that actually what I wanted to do, rather than be the, you know, the person that added the numbers up, I wanted to be the, the, the role in a company that actually made the numbers in the future sort of thing. And I was like, what career can I get, you know, can you do that shapes the future? And I decided it was marketing. It was a bit weird. So I had to go from like kind of the finance geek to to the marketing guy. And then uh, being the sort of maybe the naive kind of young buck I was, I thought, I love cars. So therefore, the obvious thing would be to go and get a job in kind of car marketing. And um, I didn't quite make it, you see, which is why when, you know, when we connected, I thought, I'd be brilliant to talk to an actual marketer of cars. You know, the career almost, I got really close. I mean, one funny story actually was um, I started at the top. I thought, I'll go and work for Mercedes Benz, you see. And I copied the advert for the E-Class. This is back in 97. And literally took a big photocopy of it. I, with my Tipex and my pen, I rewrote the ad as if it was me, you know, who's marketing myself to the Mercedes-Benz team. You know, and then, of course, what happened? I just got the standard letter, didn't I? Dear John, we've kept your CV on file. <laughs> so I was deeply... Anyway, I'll come back to this story later because it does connect to something else I want to talk to you about. But anyway, so I, I almost made it in, into the car industry, but you have, of course, you see. So did you always want to be in the car industry? Was it something that kind of, you know, was a passion of yours and how did you end up here? Yeah, so I was a little bit different to you. So I didn't think I wanted to work in the car industry specifically. I was coming out of university, so I mostly just wanted a job and was looking at all of the different like graduate schemes and all of that. And the reason that I applied for the Volkswagen Group graduate scheme was there was an ad in the paper and it basically said, you don't need to understand what's under the bonnet to come and work here. And I was like, this is perfect. I like literally have no idea how the mechanics of a car work. I didn't even own a car. So it was really by chance. So I just applied and was lucky enough to to get on the graduate scheme. Yeah. It might have been the era that we were applying, but the, the graduate schemes back then were amazing. You got to go and work in different, you know, after sales or engineering or, you know, in sales or in marketing. Did, did you have that kind of experience of working around the Volkswagen group and seeing different parts of it? Yeah, it was incredible. It was a two year scheme. So you had a chance to, I think I pretty much covered off, you know, we've got all the different brands within Volkswagen Group. So we've got Skoda, Seat, Audi, Volkswagen, Volkswagen Commercial Vehicles. So I got to do a great tour of all the different departments. I spent a few months working in a dealer and then we even had the chance to go abroad. So the deal was you could do a foreign placement, but you had to organise it yourself. 
and I studied Spanish at university, so I was like, this is amazing. So I set myself up with a placement in Mexico, spent five months as you do. there, as you do, <laughs> in, the, uh, in a place called Pueblo. And then that was my last placement on the graduate scheme before I came back and joined Skoda. Wow. Now, I noticed you, meant to, you said Skoda, right? I wanted to ask you about this. I think this is curious because, I mean, I mean Skoda, as it well, we used to say until recently, why the change to Skoda? What, what was the thinking behind that? Yeah, so we, so we have purposely started pronouncing it Skoda. So uh, obviously we're a Czech company. And when you write the S, it has this little Czech accent over the top, which, which makes it pronounced sh. So we just wanted to, you know, just have a little nod to the fact that we are a little bit different. We've got our own... I mean, Skoda's 127 years old. People Is don't know really? that oh. as a as a company. It's got like this incredible heritage, but people probably don't realise that. Yeah, and we just thought, let's you know try and find these little moments that we can be a little bit more distinctive. Yeah, and well, it makes people stop and think. It does. Well, that's what I thought because it, it, it just it you notice it because it's slightly different to the familiar way of saying it that we've yeah. had for the last 30 years. One thing I wanted to ask you was, when I when I first started studying marketing, one of the case studies that were, that, that I, I remember being presented, which fascinated me, was that VW had this insight that the, the decision-making of a car wasn't in the dealership, that actually you kind of shortlist, mentally shortlisted your next decision. Because obviously with cars, you know, unlike buying a drink or something, with a car, it's a very considered purchase, often over three or four years, isn't it? And apparently the insight was that rather than investing in convincing someone in the dealership, actually it was between car buying that you sort of mentally shortlisted the kind of brand you wanted, other cars you saw on the road. And that in the, I think in the 80s and 90s, VW made a big shift from investing in the dealership to investing in brand building advertising, which was more emotive, because they realized actually that's when you kind of made your purchase decision that most people walking to the dealership had already pretty much decided what they wanted and it was more about the detail yeah and I think that's what makes cars so interesting to if you work in marketing then working in cars is brilliant because it's actually quite a complex purchase and you know the car that people drive is really tied up with how they perceive themselves and so you know they'll they'll you know they'll either see themselves as a Skoda driver or they'll see themselves as an Audi driver or whatever it might be and it is quite quite deep rooted in terms of how you feel about different brands but yeah I mean Volkswagen did a absolutely phenomenal job didn't they like through a really you know prolonged era of doing really great emotional storytelling you know funny ads well I wanted to ask you actually if you had to pick one ad so like you you can pick any car ad in the world what would be your favorite ad I mean I've got loads of favorite ads but definitely from that Volkswagen era so when they're working with DDB and my my favorite ad is the the golf ad where the guy and his girlfriend are going to a fancy dinner and you get this really annoying sound squeaking 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 and uh, you know they stop and they don't know what it was and it turns out it's it's the girlfriend's earring and it's just for me that is just brilliant because it really reaffirms everything that people thought they knew about Volkswagen they're like see Volkswagen they're brilliant cars they don't squeak they're so well made and I think it like really connected with people I love that I think we've got the same best car, car ad actually funnily enough the, the other ones I liked as well it might be kind of age and things but but Renault Papa and Nicole mm-hmm. you know because it just had such beautiful storytelling and really beautiful it, was, it wasn't about the features of the car but you just kind of I just loved that you know love the car based on the the way they told that story and it evolved over a long period of time it's very consistent 
consistent, wasn't it? As a, yeah, it was really beautiful. I think people quite like that familiarity as well, didn't they? Because everyone was very familiar with those characters. Yeah. You know, Renault's not huge in the UK in terms of market share, but it gave them that like distinctive thing. Yes, it definitely punched to... above its weight, didn't it? I think mm. for that, that that era of the Clio and, and Thierry Henry as well, when he became the kind of yeah. brand ambassador for the car. Yeah, yeah. We, we've tried to leverage that a little bit in Skoda. So we worked with Paloma Faith for like a number of years and that worked really well with us for us because people then started connecting they were like oh right there's an ad with Paloma and then they 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 think of the brand now one of the things I wanted to ask you and and sorry to put you on the spot on behalf of the entire industry but something that really bugs me and and again I've got a little bit of science behind this working system one is why why do all car ads feel and look the same I mean you know, I mean, I remember back in the day when we were kind of, you know, we were much younger, the inside front cover of a magazine would be the prime placement. I mean, you'd have, yeah. you'd open it up, and there'd be a sort of a, a posh brand, you know, doing Maybe a little like fold you know, out. A little fold out. It, it, it was a young brand manager is like, I want the inside front yeah. cover and that sort of thing. Now when I open Top Gear, there's like about 12 inside front covers. They're all electric vehicles and they all look exactly the same. I mean, you could almost like put your thumb over the logo and go, well, which one's that one sort of thing. And then when you see a TV ad as well, it seems to be the same winding road in Cape Town, you know, as the sun goes down. Or you've got the slow-mo cityscape, you know, where suddenly there's no people around. It's like I've got the city to myself, you know. But I, I, I'm exaggerating it. But the, the other thing we noticed, we've tested 750 ads actually in the last five years on our system and database. And the similarity and the scores are literally all the same. There's only one ad. Actually, I'm glad it's you here today, actually. There is one ad that stands above them all. But the... Um, the only well, the one ad that seems to like buck the trend was was about seven or eight years old, a Skoda ad mm-hmm. featuring a cake mm-hmm. with not a single part of car or, or road or or yeah. feature or benefit, you know, mentions. So why is it that car ads end up kind of all looking pretty much the same? Yeah, I think there's a few reasons, and it's so frustrating, isn't it? I think part of it is the desire for global consistency of the brand. So what ends up happening is you have ads that may be developed in Germany to run across all of Europe and maybe across the whole world. And they've got like the world's hardest job because how do you make a piece of creative that connects with people in the UK but also connects with people in Italy and the Czech Republic? You know, we're all so different that I think that's really difficult. We're quite lucky because at Skoda, they've kind of trusted us to develop work that works for the UK because they've acknowledged that we're a funny bunch aren't we in the UK and we've got like a funny sense of humour we're a bit different to to everyone else we're quite open-minded so whereas in some of the other markets they're perhaps a little bit more conservative and traditional so yeah I think that's definitely one of the reasons and that's also fueled by pressure on production costs and you know not wanting of course, if I was in a central role, I wouldn't want all of the markets making their own ads because it's a huge investment, isn't it? Yeah. But well. but has it always been that way? Because it might be nostalgia. Maybe I'm just kind of going, oh, the ads were better back in the day. Mm-hmm. But if you take It's a Skoda Honest, mm-hmm. right? I mean, that was just because the insight there was so right for the UK market in terms of our perception of Skoda as a cheap kind of, you know, low priced car that broke down. And that the marketing really transformed, transformed rather, how people saw 
Skoda as a brand, right? Yeah. So there's some really evidence there that, you know, by taking a local insight and, and addressing it through creative, you can achieve a lot. Tell us a little bit of the story behind that, because I think that's a wonderful case study. Yeah, I mean, it was such a brilliant campaign as a guy called Chris Hawkin, who was my first boss, who spearheaded that with, with Fallon. And I guess Skoda's been on this like really long journey. So, you know, 127 years old, made amazing cars, but then in the communist era started making really budget cars and and hence that's what lots of people remember with the you know all of the jokes about about Skoda. And then in 91 Volkswagen Group took over and suddenly started like changing it all around and the products were suddenly not just budget, they were like great value for money. And the insight was that people just didn't realize so people still you know talked about all of the jokes and just remembered the jokes and it's like actually the cars are so much better than you think and then like what a brilliant thought I think for the advertising agency it was like so easy then to create work off off that thought and it was you know loads of fun and and worked really well. I thought one of the clever things about it was the joke was on people that didn't get it. It was yeah. really clever, wasn't it? Yeah. Reframing that you're, you're kind of in the know if you're buying a Skoda. Well, actually, yeah. you know, I'm the clever one because I'm, you know, because it's not what you think it is. Mm. And it also had a sense of humour, which I think, you know, has been yeah. lost very recently, hasn't it? And then how did Kate come about? Because that was, well, it might be seen as brave. I mean, you know, based on System 1, it's a flipping good decision. Yeah. But, you know, yeah. what, what? how did that come about? Well, so again, this was kind of like a really great kind of tipping point for Skoda where got back to doing great advertising and I mean, it's brilliant, isn't it? It's just got, got the simplest idea at its heart. And, you know, just taking a really simple thought, which is, you know, it's a really great car made of loads of lovely stuff. And then bringing it to life in like a way that makes people smile. It's charming. I mean, the music choice was so important there. And there's a great thing, isn't there, where you have a music track that brings back that nostalgia, but you're like showing people something new and different that they haven't seen before. So I think that was a really clever clever piece of work actually. that's a great example actually of, of, of sort of our system one because you know we're, we're listening to something and it changes how we feel about the brand that's that's in there because you say that nostalgia is very very powerful yeah. and cake right I mean, you know, I mean who doesn't like who doesn't it? like some cake right yeah. it's, it's very simple things but really really cleverly executed yeah. and the reveal at the end we go it's the Fabio it's like, oh yeah so you're doing the branding bit you know very subtly without having to put logos and APRs and three-year yeah. warranties and all that kind of stuff on on top it yeah. probably it's I mean, classic system one insight but it's it's by using emotion you actually make people feel better about the brand overall mm. and they assume that the apr is good they assume the car's good quality don't need yeah. to say it. it it's kind of implied by the yeah. you know by the emotion you create and of course in skoda we don't need to tell people that our cars are value because we massively over index on that because people have known for like lots of years that they're good value for money so you don't need to be telling people that in an ad it's built in it's the the emotional bit that you actually need to and you talked about that um you know the this like shortlist people form that and that's mostly well it's a lot of that is about emotion Mm. how does a brand make them feel how do they think they'll feel when they're driving the car and they show it to their mate well that's why i feel the car industry doesn't really understand because so much of it is functional talking about APRs or deals or fuel ranges and that kind of thing and that's the weird thing isn't it you'd think it's a very high involvement category it's a very very big purchase what the car you drive says a lot about you you know and yet you know advertising can so often not be about emotion and, and image and the kind of things that actually make a difference yeah and there's a time and a place isn't there for giving people all of the information that they need to know about it's got you know all yeah. these features and it's this this price 
But, you know, the investment that you make in AV media, that's not the time to do it. Isn't. it. And again, that's the, the website with the car configurator where you can kind of build your own seats or whatever. I mean, that, that's that's the moment, isn't it? To get, yeah. you know, get get really detailed, isn't it? Now, let's talk about your new ad, of course. You, this week as we're recording, you, yeah. you're out there with a the new ad, which I, I thought was beautiful and a lovely kind of twist on our relationship with pets. So, it, well, for, for, for listeners, did describe yeah. describe the ad to us and, and some of the thinking that went into it. Yeah, okay. So it's uh, it's an ad for our smallest SUV. So we've got three SUVs and the Kamik's the small one. We started by thinking, well, why do customers want to buy this type of car and you know it's got all the things of an SUV that makes you confident because it's a bit bigger it's a bit higher but also it's not massive so you don't have to worry about driving it around town you can get through narrow streets and everything so we're like okay how do we how do we bring that to life and the the agency came up with this idea about the Kamik being a driver's best friend we know that in the UK we love our we absolutely love our pets don't we so we really like the insight and it started out as a different script but we kind of said well there's something in that there's something in that thought. So, like, how this is the driver's best friend. Thought, yeah. So we're yeah. like, how do we take that thought? What could that look like? But then it, it, it yeah, it turned into a, a script where essentially we put the comique through its paces in a in a dog show. So imagine Crufts. So you've got loads of cute dogs around, and then you've got this car doing the weave and uh, going through the tunnel. So and the, everything. I thought the cute bit was when the the, the wiper on the back of the car wa- waggled, <laughs> waggled like a puppy dog. It was, yeah. it was, it, little details, and they were very sweet. Yeah, it's nice, actually, because sometimes when you do work, like you get really into it, don't you? And you get very excited about all the little touches. But then it's funny that the things that people pick up on. and y- Yeah. It's, yeah, like, yeah, so many people have it's, said that it's, to me. It's cute. So, so it's quite funny, actually, a, a very, very geeky insight, this. But my colleague, Orlando, he, he did some very detailed analysis into the type of features in advertising that, that create an emotional response. And the feature that most captures our attention is pets. Right. It's amazing. Our relation, and we see this on System One database because if you were to rank whatever category you're in, and, and we took all the advertising in each category, the number one category in terms of overall performance is pet care. Because, you know, ju- just having pets, it just creates such an emotional response from the viewer. So I thought it was very clever how you inverted the kind of car and pet relationships. So you had the car doing the kind of yeah. the, the pet show. And mostly we just wanted to have a little bit of fun because, like you said, like sometimes yeah. car advertising can be a little bit serious maybe a bit boring we're, yeah we just just wanted to do something that would make people smile essentially yeah well i mean it's a, the secret of good advertising isn't it is, is make people feel something i mean that's that's your yeah. first task because then they remember it they feel good and they think about the brand the next thing i wanted to come on and talk about uh you know we, today we live in in probably the biggest disruption quote unquote you know since the combustion engine haven't we in terms yeah. of the evolution to you know to, to evs and i thought i'd take you briefly back to my opening story about applying for this mercedes-benz scheme because there's a real kind of a sweet twist in the tail. About 20 years after I'd failed to get anywhere with Mercedes-Benz in applying for a job, I find myself as a lecturer on an Ashridge Business School programme for senior directors in, in Daimler-Benz. I'm there delivering my, my little speech on innovation and, and company culture and change and all this kind of thing. And go, go around the room and everyone's introducing themselves. It's like, oh, hi, I, you know, I run the AMG division, you know, 10,000 employees. I run the trucks, 300,000. Yeah. I'm, I'm outgunned, by the way, massively by the size of their empires. I then met the, the HR director who was in charge of applications in 1996. I'm like, it's you. You rejected <laughs> yeah. me. Anyway, so that's a bit. Oh, anyway, that's not quite what I was going to say because what I want to come on and say is th- this is five years ago. And what I found fascinating about the conversation I had with the team there 
was that even then, they because I I said to them, well, if you could buy one car today, what would it be? They said the E63S. I said, why? He said, because we've already made the last V8 engine. This is five years ago. Yeah. Mercedes, we've already designed and built the last V8 engine. And they were already working on smart cities, EV and all that kind of thing. So it's amazing it, you know, how your industry has to think so far ahead, isn't it, in terms yeah. of what you do? So, I mean, how far ahead do you? I mean, it's a yeah, it's a really long cycle. I mean, if you think about it, typically we'll have a car for maybe I don't know six years, let's say. So within that, you might have one one facelift, but it's a really long cycle, and we'll be planning concept cars now. So we just launched a concept car last month called the Vision Seven S, which will likely come out in about three or four years time so you're planning so so far ahead definitely and having to anticipate what it's fascinating because when when i was younger i used to go to the the big car shows at the nec and draw over the kind of concept cars and you know imagine what it'd be what what is the role of a concept car i mean what why shows somebody something that they can't buy i mean i think like as a marketer that's so helpful because they show you the future direction of the car so you you can kind of it like gets us all really excited, gets all of our retailers and our sales team excited about the, the direction that we're going. I think also it's the great way of testing, isn't well, it? Well, that's what I wondered, because <laughs> I, I, I thought, is this like just some very expensive market research go, do they like the, the, the design like this? And, you know, yeah, or is it getting people comfortable with the future? So when the future arrives, it's almost familiar. Possibly a little bit of both, but definitely the concept cars, you know, they, they won't stand still. So the teams will be working on them constantly to try to improve them and make them better right up until the point that it gets locked in as a production car so yeah i mean there'll always be features in a concept car that don't quite make it to to market whether that's for practicality or perhaps you know people just didn't you know didn't like it as much so yeah they're, they're definitely helpful like that i mean i'm probably not typical but the only thing is i find when i see a concept car I go oh do i wait until that's out you know, <laughs> yeah. so, i don't know if there's a little bit of backfire in it so you yeah sort of think, oh do i wait for that one so, yeah. yeah that is but, the only um, downside i should ask you of course what do you drive i drive an enyaq so that's skoda's electric suv so it's similar size to a Kodiak, which is our, our biggest SUV, but it's it's all electric. So we launched that last year. And yeah, I've, it's funny, isn't it? Like the switch to electric cars, you know, before you do it, you're like really apprehensive about, I've got no idea what living with an electric car is going to be like. And then just like totally changes how you feel about it. Well, this cars. is it because uh, this is the conversation I want to have with you because I am at that point, right? Yeah. So I, I'm going through this loop that I've been going through for probably 18 months going, shall I, Shanda? Because I, I, I've got a couple of relatively old cars, so I'm due a change. I have actually put electric a charging point in my house because I had a reason to. So I did actually future-proof it. And I can't decide whether to go like, AMG V8 and just have a blowout, you know yeah. what I mean? And, and then, you know, see if it goes up in value because it's just rarity. Okay. Or whether to go in, into AV, it's EV rather. But then there's so many thoughts that go through. Is it going to run out? You know, how long it takes to charge from sat on a motorway? You know, what are the barriers to EV adoption? And, and how do you overcome those kind of, you know, people like me that yeah. are sat there going, oh, not sure. It's absolutely fascinating, isn't it? Because on the one hand, you've got this new totally new emotional dynamic which is that at your heart you want to do the right thing and people are thinking about you know what kind of world am I going to leave my kids so it's actually quite a deep-rooted 
emotional response that people are having that makes them want to drive an electric car. But then there are lots of perceived barriers in people's heads. And I say perceived barriers because actually a lot of them aren't really barriers. So I'll give you an example. So people get something we call range anxiety. So this is if I'm on a journey, what happens if I my battery runs flat and I've, I've not been able to find somewhere to charge it? But like for the majority of people, the number of times that you would do a journey that is longer than the range on your car, it's really infrequent. And actually, you just like have to think about it in a different way. So now I love it because I used to hate going to petrol stations. They're like smelly and dirty. And, and now, you know, I get home. If I need to charge my car, which I probably do, I don't know, once a, once a week, once every two weeks, just like plug it in when I go to bed wake up and it's fully but charged even, even that's a fascinating insight that i i've not seen anyone market to that i've not seen anyone kind of go never visit a petrol station again sort yeah. of thing you know? <laughs> which is a big benefit right yeah yeah I or mean, when or when there's a fuel maybe when there's a fuel, fuel crisis. crisis suddenly it's like uh-huh yeah i should have got an ev you there know. were a lot of very smug ev drivers i saw a lot of social content around the the when we had the fuel crisis yeah like that's that's for sure. Yeah, there are so there are a few things like that. So people worry about yeah their their range running out. They worry about how long it will take to charge and and things like that. And then also not so much now, but a couple of years ago, people were still you know thinking, well, electric cars are a bit boring. They're a bit boring to drive. They're a bit boring to look That's at. That's what I think. So am, yeah. I, am I wrong about this? I haven't you driven so an EV. Wrong. Am I wrong? Honestly, <laughs> you need to go. You need to go and drive some electric cars because. The thing about the electric car is as soon as you put your foot down, the car responds. So they're really, they're both easy to drive because essentially you're just like putting your foot down and taking it off. It's like it couldn't get any easier. So it's got loads of tech in the car, but to drive is just so easy. But then also it's like really responsive. But you don't know that until you've tried one. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You need some kind of like free trial or like have it for a week for free on us or something like that, don't you, to get people to yeah. try. So yeah. the, let me go back to my uh, Diamond Benz thing because there's another interesting insight. So imagine my sort of awkwardness, right, where I've got these very, very senior people in Diamond Benz literally kind of competing with each other for who's got the biggest, you know, the fastest car and most horsepower. And then they go, so John, what do you drive? And I drive a <laughs> so it was a bit awkward. Anyway, so I, I had to, you know, the three series BMWs, what I was driving at the time. And then the next question they asked me was, how many BMWs have you owned? And I'm like, I think this is my fourth. And literally, you couldn't hear a pin drop at that point. And they, they were literally shaking their heads. And I was like, why? I mean, I'm, surely you guys are going to convince me over, aren't you? And they were just like, no, if you've had the same brand for four years, you're lost. <laughs> you're literally lost to us, you know. Yeah. But what's the insight around kind of buyer switching between brands and likelihood of switching brands if you buy the same car a few times? Yeah, so so traditionally you would find that once somebody's bought perhaps like two cars, then they're, they're almost like in default mode. Because I guess we're always trying to make our lives easy, aren't we? So you kind of think to yourself, I know this brand, I know this car, I know my retailer, it's all working for me. And then when you come to make, you know, our lives are busy, aren't they? So you're like, well, I'm just going to, I'll, I'll buy another one I'll, I'll just buy the latest one but what's happening now with the electric cars is you haven't got all of those familiar cars that you've known for the last 10 20 years so it's kind of all these brand new choices and they're from brands that you might not have thought about before and we're definitely seeing that EV considers a much more brand agnostic which is a great opportunity for brands obviously because we're a relatively small brand you know we've got about a three and a half percent share so actually there's loads of customers that don't know our car so it's a great opportunity but then it's also 
a challenge because it means that your you know your repurchase loyalty is you know under threat as well so yeah what you say is so true because i don't think i've ever considered a hyundai before and then the ionic goes past i'm like what is that it's like something that's just driven out of a film set you know yeah. and it looks super cool and yeah. what's the key one the EV5. Uh, EV6, is it? Oh, the new EV6. Yeah, EV6, yeah. yeah. The Kia, that is like, that's game-changing for Kia. I'm like, wow, definitely would consider that. And the thought of paying, I don't know, 36, 40,000 pounds on a Kia would be unthinkable two years ago. And yeah. suddenly that's like, not bad value, actually, you know, sort of thing. So, it, yeah. I mean, just, just a poll of one, but it definitely feels like it's a structural change in the market that actually changes how people perceive brands and it works both ways well, i mean i i haven't bought a tesla because i think they look boring personally but are you seeing that actually you're seeing a change in buyer behavior because of ev it's change, helping us reconsider how we approach cars yeah we're definitely seeing people be much more open-minded so they're kind of going okay right i'm ready to buy an electric vehicle and then they'll just look at the choice that's out there and they'll be looking at things like range and performance and all those things i mean we definitely see in skoda we've got customers that we didn't see before getting out of their you know super premium cars and coming you know to spend fifty thousand pound on a skoda who would have thought well unthinkable 10 years who would have thought that yeah it's fifty thousand pounds honest you know well that's interesting as well because do you compete now with vw and audi or is the point of having a portfolio of brands that actually you appeal to a broader overall audience i guess the yeah the point is that i'm i mean every one in five car new car customers that in the uk buy from volkswagen group so between us we want to make sure that we've got something for everyone i think our job in marketing is to try and have that like distinct space that you you sit in so for example for skoda people they want that combination of value and, and quality and that and you know and that's our thing and then Obviously, Audi, you know, obviously very design and technology led, kind of quite progressive customers. Yeah, so we try wherever possible to carve out our... You also have different ad agencies, don't you? And, and, and famously, of course, I mean, BBH, Audi, of course. I mean, that, that's one of the most iconic relationships. Yeah. DDB and yeah. VW. Yeah. And who, who, who do you use on Skoda? So so we, we use Fallon. So Fallon were the agency that came up with it's a Skoda Honest, and we've been with them. Uh-huh ever since so that was in 2000 and you know we still have a still have a super super strong relationship with them that's incredible so across the group you've all had one some of the the most established long-term relationships with your creative agencies that's interesting do you think that's part of the success you've enjoyed because of that stability yeah and and across lots of our other agency disciplines we have we we share agencies so you know we, we all work with Havas we all work with Merkel we all work with PhD for media but I think creative it is really powerful to have your you, you know your own dedicated agency to create that differentiation a bit of competition right mm, and and also I'm like a firm believer in developing your agency partnership and you know the get that trust from working together closely and having a strong track record. And I think if you flit about between agencies too much, then, you know, you've got a lot of disruption there when you haven't perhaps got that strong partnership. That's that's very wise, actually. I know I've seen that in my career where you go for a pitch because you feel like the relationship's a bit broken. You get some amazing ideas. And then once you start working with a new agency, it kind of defaults back to some of the stuff that you'd experienced before. And actually, if you put the energy into fixing the relationship, you would have probably got, you know, got further than, than, than making the big switch and losing all that 
back catalogue. Yeah, and you get out what you put in, don't you? So if you invest in having a really close relationship so that the agency understand you, they understand where you want to take the brand and you work together to define it, I, I would say that's far more powerful. Yeah, definitely. Well, so what would you point to as being like the secrets of the success of a relationship and getting the kind of work that you've, you've put out there? Yeah, I think it's about being really open with each other and, and collaborative. I find it really odd when people have like a them and us relationship and treat their agencies as a supplier because essentially you're you're in it together and you either fail together or you win together don't you so at the moment it works really well because the team we've got a foul and they haven't got any egos so you can just kind of get you can have a really open conversation you can kind of go there's something really great in that idea but we don't think you've quite nailed it so like where can we where can we go with this? I think low ego is so important, isn't it? Cause, really cause, important. Yeah, really. I mean, as a client, it gets really frustrating, doesn't it? Where you just go, the, the, you know, I, I remember on a brand I worked on that we as the client had come up with this amazing idea actually it was really clever and one of the junior people in my team had pitched it I'm like that's genius that's so clever and of course it's a bit awkward because we're going back to the agency to go we've had this idea we've had this idea now I'd hoped that they would go well ideas can come from anywhere we'll take the idea we'll run with it and we'll work it through we'll see if we can make it even better but the sheer ego because like well, oh no we've dismissed (laughs) not invented it we've dismissed 50 ideas that were better than that and I'm like you have? Right. Well, where are they then? Because I'd like to see them, because if that's yeah. true and you, we just got into this loggerhead, you know, it's, it's but, but yeah, I think trust and low ego on both sides, actually, I think. Yeah, yeah. Isn't it? It's so true, though, isn't it? Because a good idea can come from anywhere. Mm. And then obviously, you know, everyone then plays to their strengths to then execute and develop that idea in, in the best possible way. Yeah. We also have a philosophy of not working with directors with massive egos. Oh, that's interesting. How do you know they haven't got egos then? How, where, how do you discover that? Because I've discovered too late. <laughs> a couple yeah. of times. Yeah, I think in in my career, I've definitely had some examples or, or been aware of ones where it's not worked out quite so well. I mean, a lot of it's track record, isn't it? So, you know, the guys that we work with at, at Fallon, they have lots of experience of working with lots of directors. And yeah, we, we just basically don't go anywhere near yeah. anyone that... Um, the, two, the two best ads I've made, actually, were both up-and-coming directors yeah, yeah. and who, who were willing to kind of collaborate, as it were. They felt they were getting exposure on a big brand. Yeah. And I felt I was getting a level of kind of collaboration and commitment and drive. What was fascinating both times is actually I ended up inputting a lot less. Whereas when I had the sort of big name directors, I ended up having to input a lot more to try and kind of wrestle the idea back to where it, I thought it should be sort of thing. But yeah, no, I've had yeah, lots of success with it. Because it's better to have that collaboration up front, isn't it? Because otherwise you just end up in a really awkward situation where you see the first cut you're like, and your heart oh, this sinks. is yeah, this I know. is not working. And you go, this isn't what I thought. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Despite all those pre-production calls where we went through the script, we go, no, it's not like that. That's very good advice. So as you look ahead, what's coming down the track in the future for, for kind of EV, for car car industry what should we be looking out for yeah so obviously we're kind of at this like biggest turning point that we've we've ever been on as an industry as you know by 2030 we'll all the new cars that we sell will be electric vehicles so for us that that tipping point is probably coming in about three or four years where we think actually more customers will be buying electric cars than internal combustion engines. So and what, where are we now? What percentage of new car sales are at EV versus? So, you know, at the moment we're looking about, say, one in five customers. Oh, is that all? Yeah. That's what I, thought. I mean, it's growing exponentially. 
it's taken us all a little bit by surprise how quickly it's taken off but we will get to a point where we need the charging infrastructure to catch up for example or some people might be just holding on as long as, long yeah, as they producer can. Producer James, by the yeah. way, has already got his eyes on a, on a powerful V8 here that he's going <laughs> to <Yeah. laughs> max it out. There's a good argument for that, I'd say, because I always say to my kids, like, they will probably only ever buy EVs. So I, I'm tempted just to buy a petrol car so we can kind of go, do you remember when? Be a bit like kind of horse riding before, like the, <laughs> you know, Buying, buying a fast horse back in the day. Yeah, and then I think the other interesting thing about the car industry is our the, the, the model that we go to market. So moving towards a model where customers can buy directly from us online if they want to. They can obviously also go to a, a retailer. So, you know, I, from a digital transformation perspective, that's really interesting for us. So how do we support a journey where customers might just be sat at home on their sofa and want to, like, I mean... Well, yeah, yeah. The, 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 whole, the, whole the whole ecosystem changes, doesn't it? Because you're not going to a petrol station, obviously, one. Mm. You're charging overnight. You're at, you've got loads more information and data on the car. You, you might buy it in a different way. Yeah. It, it, the, the whole you know, ecosystem is completely changed, isn't it? To, yeah, to it's it a really fascinating time of change, definitely, for an industry that hasn't really changed that much. For yes. Yes. Forever. Yeah. Yeah. We're living through fascinating times, aren't we? That's wonderful. So one thing that occurred to me is if I think about buying a mobile phone, right, I'll go down to the shop and I'll buy a subscription, right? I'll I'll pick the model I want, the length of contracts, my budget each month. Car buying seems like a bigger commitment because you need a finance agreement and and you need to do higher purchase and you've got to find thousands of pounds at the end of it. Have you ever considered a different way of buying a car where that is a bit more flexible and, you know, doesn't require, you know, lots of bank statements and and a virtual mortgage to to sign up to? Yeah, definitely. It's a, it's a really huge topic for automotive at the moment. So we talk a lot in our strategy about becoming a mobility provider rather than a company that sells cars for exactly those reasons you know people are changing aren't they how they consume things and the subscription model is really really familiar to people now the challenge that we have is how do you make that subscription subscription model accessible in a way that is affordable and that people feel it's worth it because obviously it's it's a more expensive model to run than than the traditional one so but definitely something for you know how the industry will will transform over the next few years. There's been huge disruption in how secondhand cars are bought and sold, haven't there? You know, with uh, We Buy Any Car and mm-hmm. Kazoo and Cinch and those kind of platforms, basically making you know kind of aggregating, I suppose, the secondhand car market, so you can almost get any model you want secondhand and on your terms delivered to your door. So it feels like the, the buying of secondhand cars has been revolutionised. I wonder if the same yeah. thing will happen in. In kind of new car buying yeah and, and our job is definitely to make that experience as easy as possible for the customers so we're, we're working on lots of projects you know in the digital transformation space just to make it as easy and simple and enjoyable to, to transact with us as we can so yeah just giving people choices i think you'll always have people that want to go into a retailer and that's great and we see that as a really important part of the journey but also you'll have people who who are just you know comfortable they'll do all their research online you know in in the not too distant future go on and actually 
complete their finance and their purchase online. Oh, that's really neat. I, I, bought, I bought a new iMac the other day, actually. Mm-hmm. And the producer James is smiling because it's the second one I bought in a year. I did give my other one to my daughter, by the way, for her homework. So just like to say that I don't <laughs> actually have two iMacs on my desk. The other one's gone to a very worthy cause. My daughter starts GCSE next year. But it was what I, what I loved about the buying experience with John Lewis was the authorization to buy it was just one click. It was one click, pre-approved, boom, and 0% whatever over two years it was so easy and i think making things easy is is such an important part of any transaction car buying feels like one of those you know quite intimidating Mm. things to do so i think there's there's a lot in that yeah it's an interesting thing isn't it about the um we talk a lot about frictionless experiences and we want to make everything friction free but then when you're buying a car you might be spending thirty thousand forty thousand fifty thousand pounds so you don't want to take all of the friction out because actually you wouldn't want to accidentally press a button and buy a £50,000 car either, would you? That is true. (laughs) So like thinking about (laughs) how that experience works and making sure that customers have enough chances to like get all the information that they need so that they feel confident. I think that's probably the trick. Um, so just just to round it off, if if anyone's listening, they'd love to get into into the car industry or they'd love to get into marketing. What would be your advice for, you know, kind of getting to this kind of stage you've got to in your career? I think, you know, like the stage that we're at in our in our transformation of our brand and our industry, we are really passionate about bringing in lots of people from other industries with diverse backgrounds. So, you know, I would I would say to people, firstly, like about automotive, if you haven't considered it, it's such an interesting category to work into like particularly from a marketing perspective you know the consumer behavior element is really interesting so I would say you know check check out your your options and don't rule it out just because you haven't worked in automotive before and then from a marketing perspective what would I say I mean I guess marketing is changing so much now isn't it so it's not just about like making great tv ads you know it's about like embracing new technology and innovation and how you're going to use your data to be to be smart so i guess if you're really interested in the in combining the you know the art and the science then then yeah give it a go well also anyone anyone creative there are millions of pounds being spent making very boring car ads so <laughs> if you're creative come into the car industry and sort this out because honestly i can't imagine an industry well maybe mobile phones or where, where so much money is spent making exactly the same thing undifferentiated that looks exactly the same as everyone else's thing yeah. it, it is a ginormous waste we need some more cakes being created yes you know <laughs> and, and and kind of pets and stuff like that so i think there's a big opportunity for anyone out there that, to go and disrupt this industry in a big way in the same way the ev is disrupting how we drive yeah. you know we need people to disrupt you know how cars are sold in the same way so uh, yeah if you're listening get in touch with kirsten she'll sort you out absolutely thank you so much for coming on it's been great to have you thank you so much thank you everybody for listening to uncensored cmo and i hope you enjoyed the episode if you'd like to find out more then please do subscribe you can do that by hitting the subscribe button on apple Podcasts or spotify if you'd like to get in touch with me please do i'm over at twitter at uncensored cmo you can also find me on linkedin uh, john evans that's john without an h love to have any feedback and guest recommendations thank you for listening and look forward to you joining me next time